Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Noelle Ellerson Ng, AASA's Associate Executive Director for Policy and Advocacy, and you're listening to the PEP Talk Podcast, a new way for our members to stay engaged with our policy and advocacy work. If it's your first time tuning in, thanks for joining us. Here at PEP Talk, we cover all things that could be remotely labeled as edgy policy. All shows are available for download under the PEP Talk landing page on the AASA website. Looking ahead, if you have a show idea or guest you think we should have on, shoot me a note at aasa.org. Our latest episode, which you'll hear next, features Katie Bisbee and Anna Edwards, both with Donors Choose. Crowdfunding. We've all heard the term, and we've seen various headlines on the funding mechanism making its way into schools. Over the last two years, AASA has enjoyed a working partnership with Donors Choose, a nonprofit website that helps public school teachers get funding for materials and experiences that will help their students learn. For today's guests, Katie Bisbee serves as the Chief Marketing Officer and Executive Vice President of Partnerships for Donors Choose. In this role, Katie leads the marketing and partnership team, engaging 2.5 million citizen donors and 500 corporate and foundation partners in supporting public school classrooms. Anna Edwards is Chief Advocacy Officer and Co-Founder for Whiteboard Advisors, a DC-based strategic communications and consulting firm. In her more than 10 years with Whiteboard, Anna has led district and state outreach on behalf of some of the most successful companies and nonprofit organizations in education and works closely with education leaders across our nation's urban school districts and higher education systems. But before I turn to our esteemed guests and we get into the nitty gritty of this really fun topic, I want to share a few donors by the choose numbers with you. For reference, Teachers at 82% of public schools in America have posted a project to the Donors Choose website. Collectively, the site has mobilized 3,810,977 citizen donors and dozens of generous corporate and foundation partners. Together, they've given $844,544,200 in classroom project funding, impacting nearly 34.4 million students across the country. So with those framing numbers, I want to pivot over to our guests, give a warm welcome to Katie and Anna, and thank them for joining us today, and start right now. So Katie, I've heard it said that Charles Best, the founder and CEO of Donors Choose, your boss, invented crowdfunding out of his classroom. For those of our listeners who are new to learning about Donors Choose, or who may be less familiar with the Donors Choose story and crowdfunding in general, can you give us some background and definitions to set the stage? Sure, thank you, Noelle. So about 20 years ago, uh, Charles Best was a high school um, history and civics teacher in the Bronx at a public school. And he spent a lot of his time thinking about how he could enhance his um, curriculum and his lesson plans with supplies that he didn't have the budget for. And he frequently was in the teacher's lunchroom with his fellow teachers talking about their ideas for how they could um, be even stronger teachers if they had more supplies for their classrooms. So he built a website, a nonprofit website called DonorsChoose.org. And 
teachers from across the country can go and request um, books they want their students to read, art supplies they want them to use, um, even field trips they want them to take. And he would be screening and vetting these projects, and then any donor um, across the country can go and, and make a donation towards these projects. 20 years ago, when a donor would donate towards a project, Charles would himself personally purchase the supplies and mail them to the teacher. Um, now we do that uh, in a much more scalable, uh, controlled way. But that was really how it formed. It formed out of his classroom, and he taught for the first five years of running DonorsChoose.org. And now he runs it full time as our CEO. And our, our mission is to make sure teachers have what they need to teach uh, to give their students the best possible education. And Donor Shoes was the first crowdfunding site back 20 years ago. The word crowdfunding didn't wasn't a word and didn't exist. But what it really what it means is really simple. It means a lot of people giving small donations to support a cause that uh, that total up in to to a larger donation. And I like that you started with the history of crowdfunding. I guess I even I hadn't realized that crowdfunding is something that actually even started with 20 years ago with Donors Choose and we had opened the framing language of this episode with crowdfunding and crowdsourcing. So I'm always happy when it ties back to schools and I appreciate the context and history with Charles and Donors Choose. So going from this history and the nice background I want to pivot to the specifics of how it works. So most of our audience is superintendents, but a lot of these projects, I believe almost solely, are submitted by teachers for classroom projects. So how do classroom projects get funding, and what teachers do you support? Yeah, that's exactly right. So any U.S. public school teacher across the country is eligible to post a project for supplies on their site. When a teacher is posting a project on our site, we are in touch with a teacher's principal, um, notifying them along the way. And we screen and vet every single classroom project to make sure it's beneficial to student learning. And then once we vet it and we post it to the site, so right now there are 50,000 classroom projects waiting for funding. And we consider it our job as a nonprofit at donorschoose.org to make sure that the projects get and receive funding. And so uh, citizens, any, any kind of everyday people can go onto the site and search for their hometown school where they grew up, for a subject area they loved as a student, for their favorite child book author, and they can find a classroom project that speaks to them and make a donation of any size. And then we also spend a lot of time working with philanthropists and companies and foundations, uh, large national ones across the country, to fund um, large groups of classroom projects. And so of the, the $844 million into classrooms that you mentioned in your introduction, Noel, 75% uh, of that comes from the citizen donors, the philanthropists, the companies and the foundations that don't know the teacher they're supporting. Um, it comes from outside of, outside of school communities. And the vast majority of that funding is going towards the schools that need it most, the schools that are in low-income communities. So when you're talking about the focus on or the ability to really get into low-income communities and low-income classrooms, and I'm pivoting from some of the questions that we wanted to talk about ahead of time, and this ties into something that I know my boss has talked about, the, the equity focus of donors choose. 
Can you talk to me about how Donors Choose thinks about equity and ensuring that in trying to get all of your projects funded, which let's also talk about that major announcement you had last year where someone went through and cleared out the website, everything was funded. But we know you guys spend a lot of time thinking about equitable support and getting into the high needs, low income, low wealth schools, but you also think about rural. Can you help us think through and understand how you guys are purposeful in addressing those communities as well? Yeah, do you wanna go first, Katie, and then I'll chime in? That sounds great. Yes, so we have teachers in 84% of schools where half or more of the students are from low income households. And we think that, um, there are a couple of reasons for that. One is uh, because we're a nonprofit, our mission really is to serve the classrooms that need it most. So when we do outreach to teachers, um, we really focus on those areas that have a high number of students from low-income households. We don't spend a lot of time doing outreach to schools, for example, with very strong PTAs in more wealthy neighborhoods because we think they don't need our help as much. And then we also think that we're a magnet for teachers in low-income communities because they don't have networks of their own to gain funding for their classrooms. They might not have strong PTAs where parents make large donations to the schools, or they might not have friends and family that can give to those classrooms. So it's in part because we do a lot of outreach to those areas, and in part because those teachers inherently see that if they come to our site and post a project, they themselves don't have to raise the funding for it. And specifically with rural classrooms, the, um, the really exciting thing about the, the gift from Ripple last year, which was a, it was a $27 million gift. It was the largest gift of cryptocurrency ever made to a nonprofit organization and it funded every classroom project on our site in one day. That drew so much attention in media and among the teacher community that since that since that funding last March, we've had a 50% increase in teachers from rural communities hearing about donors choose and coming to use our site, which for us we see as, uh, as so exciting and really helping us to fulfill our mission. And yeah, Anna, that was going to add anything? That I, no, I was going to. I was uh, also going to drop the 53% increase among rural teachers stack because we know that that's something that um, that you all at AASA care a lot about. Um, one other thing, Noelle, that that we've talked a lot about with you is not only leveling the playing field for low-income schools as well as um, as rural schools, but even within school districts and within schools. How do you ensure that there's equitable support? Um, you know, we know that not all teachers necessarily are going to know that this opportunity is available or feel comfortable posting. And so um, that's an area where we think that there's a lot of opportunity for um, school district leaders and for principals to, uh, to educate teachers, to build awareness. Um, we've done some work with school districts to do trainings so that everyone knows that this is a resource that's available that they can take advantage of so that all students benefit from the resources that their teachers can bring into the classroom through donorschoose.org. I always think back to the time that we all met to first make this happen. I believe Dan and I had Dan Dominich, AAS's executive director. I believe we had left AAS's holiday party. So I think I was in a Christmas cartoon character <laughs> t-shirt, right? <laughs> you were. It was memorable, Noelle. <laughs> right, right. The woman named Noelle in a Christmas t-shirt, of course. So we were meeting, and 
One of the questions that I know I had rolling around in the back of my mind, not too seriously, but something you want to talk about is how do you draw the relevance of this from the teacher level up to the superintendents? Or some of the questions we got, why is AASA partnering with donors choose? What is the benefit here? And from where we sit, and this is where I'm really looking forward to the next set of questions, where we highlight specific examples of district leadership and school-level leadership, just the anecdotes we have of superintendents or principals being very purposeful about how they talk about donors choose to either have teams of teachers or grade levels or certain subjects coordinate on what they request or to plan on the projects they try to provide and seek funding for in a manner that's not only more systemic and equitable, but also really directly aligned to curriculum admission work of the schools. And through that niche, that's where AASN came to partner with Donors Choose. And when we publish this podcast, I know that it's our intent. We'll do a guest blog post from y'all. We want to link to the two toolkits. So before we get into some of the anecdotes, why don't you give us your elevator speech of what the two toolkits are and why they're a natural fit between donors choose and AASA? Noelle, it was really fun to partner um, with AASA on the development of these resources because one of the things that our teams have found uh, going out and working with uh, principals and school district leaders around the country is that a lot of times, despite the fact that teachers are um, getting so much from DonorsChoose.org and bringing so much joy and learning to their classrooms. Principals and administrators weren't necessarily aware with, of, of how the site worked and just some of the mechanics. And so the opportunity to raise awareness and to make sure that district administrators knew how the system worked, what the accountability, transparency, and integrity controls and safeguards that are in place through DonorsChoose.org are, so that they could best support the rollout within their districts was a, a huge opportunity. And, and um, again, uh, we just really appreciate AASA realizing that that was an opportunity to educate their members as well. In that first toolkit, we really covered best practices and just some definitions. What is crowdfunding? And as a district administrator, what are the look-fors? What should I be asking my staff, my principals, and our teachers to make sure that the crowdfunding sites um, and practices that are in place are ensuring accountability and the safeguards that DonorsChoose.org has in place. And so that was the that was really the goal of the first toolkit was to build a common understanding among school district leaders and give them some ideas of actions that they could take in their district to uh, build awareness and ensure that they were maximizing the tool as well as ensuring safety and security. In the new toolkit, and Katie, please chime in, I think what we're, what we're most excited about is that we're taking it a step further and actually giving examples of what leading districts are doing to take action to make sure that there's training and that there's common and consistent understanding of what policies are in place and how the uh, site is used. And so hopefully this will be something that's even more of a, a guide for district leaders to, um, to really leveraging and maximizing DonorsChoose.org in their district. And that's where we've had really good response from our members is not only just highlighting what donors choose and that there's a good role for it to play in schools, but there's a, more importantly, a leadership opportunity. This is very teacher-led but you can magnify the impact of that teacher-led project filing or request 
by having a school-based leader or a district leader take it to the next level and really see how you can expand the opportunity to be school-wide or district-wide. And what I want to do now, since you framed it up so nicely talking about the toolkits and the purpose and the thinking, is really get to some of these specific examples. So what's an example, Katie, of a school district superintendent who's leveraging crowdfunding to support their district priorities? And one of the things, the one I'm thinking of in particular, actually comes from the first toolkit. This is the Atlanta case study. Yeah, so this is this is such a great example of of a superintendent really maximizing the gain that you can get from teachers feeling empowered and and using donorschoose.org. So Atlanta Public Schools, their um, their number one district priority is college and career readiness, and so they obviously do a whole lot of work in the district to support this priority. And then um, additionally, every fall, uh, Superintendent Dr. Karstarfin runs a campaign where she asks every single teacher in Atlanta public schools to post their best ideas for how to support college readiness in their own classrooms. And she gives teachers the freedom to be really creative and really innovative on how to engage their students in this. They do this in the fall and they give teachers about a month and towards the end of that month, Atlanta Public Schools takes the funding that they've raised, the money that they've raised through their own vending machines in their central office and through their central office parking garage and uses those funds to pick the 40 most innovative and creative projects in the district that are supporting college and career readiness. And they make a $500 donation to each of those 40 projects. And then the remaining projects that are uh, that Atlanta Public Schools doesn't fund are eligible for funding from our donor community across and, and corporate community across the country. And so they get as many as 100 projects funded every fall that support that district priority. And Dr. Karstarfin is so great. She makes announcements. They, they call them mini grants. Um, she makes announcements about the mini grant winners. Um, she does a lot of social media uh, tweeting to high-five the teachers and to share their really great ideas for college readiness. And the whole district central office is, is behind it. So it's a great example. So what I like about that example and the next one I'm going to ask about is when you talk about what's going on in Atlanta, we're talking about the application or practice of trying to integrate a, a very mindful or purposeful approach to donors choose and crowdfunding in school. But behind any solid policy, practice or any solid implementation ultimately should be a solid policy. And this would not be a conversation with me if we did not talk about policy. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to pick another example, and I've heard both you, Katie and Anna, talk about Dr. Height out of Philadelphia. And this is an example that's in the second toolkit. News stories of school districts that create crowdfunding policies. And this is really what was the crux of the second toolkit, this idea of being purposeful in the design of your policy to support very diligent implementation of the practice. What tips do you have for administrators in thinking about policies related to crowdfunding in their classrooms, schools, and district? Wow, great question. And we are thrilled that Dr. Height saw the opportunity to clarify how crowdfunding uh, could work in the school district of Philadelphia and put in place a very clear policy that 
that gave teachers the assurance that if they used DonorsChoose.org, you know, here was the, the protocol and that they were allowed to use, um, to use the resource. And that School District of Philadelphia policy is included in the toolkit if, if anyone listening to the podcast wanted to see um, what they put in place in Philadelphia. There are some important areas that we feel uh, crowdfunding policies should cover, including, uh, Katie, you can probably speak to this too, some of the safeguards around um, teachers never receiving cash, that materials are shipped to teachers, um, not cash, that their reporting functionality that principals receive so that they know if materials are coming into the school district. And um, and those have been some big focus areas, as well as just making sure that there's a set of kind of transparency and security safeguards in place. And and so, so those are some of the common areas that we see school districts interested in. And we built um, you know, with AASA a model policy that includes some of those key um, elements that, that school district leaders care about. Katie, do you want to dig in a little bit deeper on that? And, yeah, and these are these come from just all of the questions we get from school district administrators, um, whether it be superintendents or CFOs or even CTOs or grants officers. But yeah, materials districts want to know that we're sending materials to, that can be tracked and reported on, as opposed to cash. The schools, school districts also really care about the school being the owner, oh, the owner of those funded materials. So when a teacher changes schools or leaves the district, those materials stay in the classroom where they where they were intended for. Anna, you mentioned you mentioned reporting. Uh, school districts really want to track, especially CFOs, how much, how, what what exact materials and and how much they cost um, that are coming into the district, and lots of student protection measures that uh, are obviously very important to districts that um, students' privacy is protected and that crowdfunding sites are free from student identifying information. And the Philadelphia policy has, Philadelphia did a, a really rigorous study of all of the crowdfunding sites and created a policy and, and felt that um, donors choose checked off those boxes for them. But tying it back into something we opened up with, so you're talking about policy and donors choose checking a lot of those boxes and really helping districts walk the line between a very good practice that's beneficial for teachers in classrooms, but also connecting the dots to students in district mission and district learning. Let's tie this policy evaluation back into this equity lens, because that's a big reason why AASA is such a strong supporter of donors choose. What can districts do to ensure equitable access, given that teacher capabilities and interests within using donors choose vary so greatly? Anna, I think this is one you were going to talk to. Yeah, one of the best practices that we highlighted in the first toolkit and then I think reinforced in the second is this idea of building awareness and training for principals and teachers because it could be, and this question we get from superintendents all the time, like I know that Mrs. Jones in you know, third grade at Williams Elementary School is a rock star and so she's going above and beyond to bring resources into her classroom, but not every third grade teacher is taking that, um, is taking that initiative and how do the students in the classes that um, are not taught by Mrs. Jones, you know, that's not fair, how do, we, how do we level the playing field even within a school? between teachers, and that's where we've seen districts who, um, who take the lead and say, 
we want to make sure that that all teachers are aware that the resource is available and understand how to use it. And it's actually quite simple and not time consuming. And here are some prompts that could help them think about the resources aligned to our goals and priorities that would help their students in their classrooms. That's how they really ensured that all students and all teachers are benefiting from DonorsChoose.org. Um, Miami-Dade County Public Schools is a great example there where Superintendent Carvalho hosts a conference, uh, professional development, professional learning conference every summer for all of the principals and teachers called Synergy. And he invited DonorsChoose.org to come in and do training so that everyone understood that this was a resource that was available because he wanted to ensure that there was equity um, across the district and even within schools. And uh, we've seen countless other districts also start to offer trainings so that there is a, a common understanding of how the tool is used and how it can support uh, district goals and priorities. So when you talk to the superintendents of the three case studies that you just referenced, what have they indicated is the biggest difference that they've seen or the biggest takeaway when they think about their equity focus or the way they've structured their policy or the, the practice that they put into place? Hmm. Katie, I'd love to hear your take, but since I've got maybe a little bit more of a bird's eye view, the thing that's really exciting is when school district administrators realize that DonorsChoose.org provides an opportunity to let teachers shine, to realize what their classrooms need, to identify passion projects, and provide a way for teachers to bring those to life. And, and the, the administrators understand that by giving teachers that opportunity, it's really empowering for the teacher. It shows recognition for the, for the value that that teacher is bringing to their classroom. And it's an opportunity to recognize teachers and make sure they feel supported. And I think a lot of administrators are seeing that that level of support and showing that there's support from this network of funders across the country and these major philanthropies and corporate partners, that makes the teachers feel like they have uh, some wind at their back in the hard work that they're doing every day and the value of that in retaining teachers over time. And so um, the, the administrators that we've had the privilege of working with, I think, see, see the context of this work as, as part of a bigger picture effort to support teachers and the policies and the trainings all roll up into, into that. Um, but Katie, I'd, I'd love to hear, hear your perspective on that too. I think that was so well said. I was gonna say something really similar where it really allows the administrators to engage teachers so that they can really connect the district priorities and curriculum in the classroom in a way that gets their individual students really excited. And it allows the teacher just the, the creativity and, and the room to, to match what the district really cares about with, with their own students. Okay, and I wanna tie that back into something I hinted at earlier, as well as the equity theme that we keep focusing on. When we talk about donors choose in a broader sense, so if we back it out to even the 50,000 foot level, the support that donors choose provides, even though it's actual supports and services, it's not cash, 
is essentially complementary or supplementary resources or funding made available to classrooms and schools. And you hinted at this earlier that, that there are similarities between the presence and availability of dollars that come from a PTA. And we've all seen a growing body of research about how PTAs, while a wonderful asset because no one can undermine the benefit of parent engagement in a school community. The fact of the matter is that PTAs can sometimes however unintentionally exacerbate equitable resources because wealthier neighborhoods and wealthier parents that have more disposable income will donate to their PTA, but their PTA serves their schools. And I know that where I live in Arlington, Virginia, the broader PTA, a portion of every school's funds goes to a district-wide bucket that helps to alleviate some of that inequity. But at its core, this is something my boss has referred to as the PTE, PTA equalizer. So Dan has referred to Donors Choose as the PTA equalizer. You know, we've heard that some districts and school boards are putting into place problematic policies for teachers. So what what is at the crossing or the intersection of those two? Because we're going to bet that the superintendent and principals are aiming to put policies in to strengthen the overall practice. So what is the tension that becomes problematic for teachers? Why does that exist? And what are the common concerns of school district leaders and school board members? And how have you at Donors Choose been working with them to make sure that the Donors Choose model addresses them? We have found that uh, the biggest challenge is just a lack of understanding of how crowdfunding sites differ and why DonorsChoose.org, while the kind of, in air quotes, first crowdfunding site is, um, is really different from how people uh, think about crowdfunding today through other kind of mainstream sites, not solely focused on education, like GoFundMe um, or some of the other sites that you might have you know, been hit up for um, donations to for various charitable causes, which are great, but I think an administrator sees risk in the idea that you have um, maybe teachers going rogue and getting cash and there's, there's no real accountability or safeguard and, uh, and they don't know where those resources go. And so um, the, the biggest challenge has been just getting over that, that lack of understanding and explaining why DonorsChoose.org is really different from other crowdfunding sites and the safeguards that are in place to ensure all of those things that we talked about earlier um, in terms of financial transparency, um, integrity controls like materials ownership and district reporting and student protections in terms of privacy and safety. And so once we explain um, that DonorsChoose.org has all of those things in place, it's a completely different conversation. And then you mentioned, oh, by the way, you know, over $800 million have gone into teachers through this site. And so, so I think that's really been a big effort um, is where there have been policies put in place that restrict teacher access to DonorsChoose.org really just takes going in and explaining the way that the model works, why the model is different, and the policies and best practices that can be put in place to make sure that there is not risk to the district or to the teacher by engaging with, with DonorsChoose.org. Okay, so a question that just popped into my head, which is not on our distributed set of potential questions, but it's still relevant. What, if anything, have you heard from PTAs as they see more work and traction from donors choose, so money going into schools 
because PTAs, our PTAs working with teachers to help recommend projects, our PTAs working with boards and principals and superintendents to strike a good balance between policy and practice. I, I feel like there's a really good opportunity for PTAs here to not only help implement Donors Choose, but also see the benefits of a program or model like Donors Choose that's really equity-centric. That's such a good point, Noelle. And to be honest, we don't work with a ton of PTAs simply because the schools we spend the most time working in don't have them. But in the we do have a couple, like a very few cases where where PTAs are are supporting sister schools in districts that don't have the same resources that their school has. So uh, there is a, a PTA in Charlotte, North Carolina, that I can think of that the parents have adopted. Uh, a school that's a mile down the street but has significantly uh, has students from uh, low-income backgrounds in the school at a much higher rate than their school and they really like once a week they go and they run after school programs they train the teachers at their sister school on donorshoes.org and they're constantly uh, supporting classroom projects as well through donors choose it's a great idea for PTAs in general to think about donors choose as a way to to kind of actively work with teachers on ideas for their individual classrooms, for sure. Yeah, and similarly, district foundation, local education foundations, um, we've seen great work done in Oklahoma, for example, where the local education foundation associated with the school district actually partnered up with DonorsChoose.org to maximize their impact and support of teachers. Because if you think about it, that's the best way to make your dollars go further is to to bring in these additional resources through matching funds. And so I think that's a really exciting local partnership effort that we're starting to see take off um, through local education foundations as well. Okay, so I like that answer because that was a very genuine question that emerged organically as we talked through this episode of the podcast. I think what really stuck out to me, though, was the reference to the practice of PTAs to fund sister schools. I think that's a really interesting, not at all directly related to what we're talking about today, but that's an interesting takeaway or something. I've learned about what PTAs are doing, and I know that it's an issue that they talk about a lot, this idea that they, however unintentionally, might be exacerbating resource allocation. That sister school role is really, really important. And as soon as you started giving your answer, I remember that you said right away, you tend to focus on the schools that are underserved or under-resourced, including those that are less likely to have PTAs. And so it is a nice compliment to have those schools and those communities who have just as much, if not more need, have access to a resource like that of donors choose. So I think that's a really good note to end this episode on because Let's be honest, I'm keeping an eye on the time, and I want to be respectful mm-hmm. to your time and that of our listeners. But here at AASA, we remain thankful to know and work with you, Katie and Anna, at, at Donors Choose, and to have you among our allies in supporting the important work of our nation's classrooms and for helping us help superintendents think through how to be purpose-driven and equity-focused and leveraging all that donors choose and the supported projects can bring to public schools. Listeners, thank you for tuning in today. When we publish this episode, we'll be sure to push out the links to the two communications and resource toolkits that AASA and donors choose have collaborated on, the ones we referred to throughout today's episode. Katie and Anna, thank you for joining us for the latest episode of Pep Talk, where AASA comes to talk all things education policy. 
That concludes today's episode.